With a relentless focus on excellence in healthcare, Pullman Regional Hospital presents The Health Podcast. All right, people throw the term ADHD around all the time, but do they really know what the condition is truly about? Well, to learn a little bit more about ADHD and its diagnosis and treatment, we'll talk to someone who knows all about it. Today, we'd like to welcome Dr. Chad Sanders, a clinical neuropsychologist here at Pullman Regional. Hello, Dr. Sanders, and welcome. Hi, good morning. So glad you're here. Let's dive right in. What are the signs of having ADHD? So there are quite a few. If we go right to the DSM, there are two categories. There's primary inattentiveness and hyperactivity. And this is where colloquially people think of ADD versus ADHD. Technically, it all falls under the banner of ADHD. And there are three subtypes. There's predominantly inattentive, predominantly hyperactive, and combined. Your primary inattentive symptoms, and for anyone who has ADHD, you don't need to manifest every single one of these. It's about five or more for adults or six or more for kids. But basically for inattention, it's a variety of things, just like it sounds. Problems with focus, problems with following through on tasks, kind of stick-to-itiveness, difficulties with organization, structure, problems remembering appointments, obligations, stuff like that. Things that require a lot of sustained attention tend to be avoided. Often people with ADHD just don't do well with tasks that require a long burst of attention, and so you kind of have more of switching between tasks pretty quickly. Carelessness, to make careless or rushing mistakes is another common symptom. Primary problems with sustaining attention. In conversation, it can be very difficult for people with ADHD to stay focused, just like other contexts. But for others, you can notice that it seems like, are you listening to me, or did you hear what I just said? That kind of thing, and it's a yeah. more of a recurrent problem. And then losing track of key objects, key things. I'll talk about this probably a bit later as we go into other areas, but people with ADHD over time just kind of learn that they will lose things that are key if they don't do yeah. certain strategies to keep track of it. And then dis- your filter for distraction is just lower. And so you hear those stereotypes about like squirrel, all that stuff. It's just gonna say squirrel. Uh, yep, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a real thing. And then for hyperactivity, it's kind of the outward manifest symptoms. And so fidgeting, squirming, straightforward hyperactivity. But internally, and this is more apparent too, the older the person gets is feeling more driven to do things, driven by a motor, kind of an ongoing tempo. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes leaving situations when staying seated, staying calm, staying quiet is appropriate. So kind of moving around or even sometimes standing up in a chair at a movie theater, but difficulties with staying seated or staying kind of still when you're supposed to. Often feeling restless, feeling on edge in terms of needing to do stuff, difficulty unwinding or slowing down and being quiet. Even for things sometimes that are enjoyable to the person, it can be hard to do it quietly. Talking excessively in social situations, and it's not always talking excessively as far as like fast paced and loud, but it can also be kind of not following the rules. So kind of intruding on boundaries of others, finishing people's sentences, jumping in when you're not supposed to. And then difficulties waiting turn is actually one of the specific symptoms in the DSM, but that can look more diverse than that. So it can be things like when you're supposed to wait a certain given amount of time for any potential thing, you might just not make it and try to get done earlier. You might give up and you might walk away. And so people with ADHD are, for example, more likely where if you're at a grocery store and it's really busy and there's a long line, you might be the person that gets out of line to go try to find a shorter one and then you end up wasting more time because of Mm -hmm. problems with organization and the combination can really manifest. So in a nutshell, those are the kind of key domains, symptom-wise. And as you were talking, I was wondering, does ADHD present differently in children versus adults? It does, yeah. Some of the primary things are kind of the same, but the trend from kids to adults 
is you see kind of through shaping, certain things don't look the same in adulthood. The key neuro kind of chemical etiology is the same. Basically deficiencies in norepinephrine and dopamine, that kind of thing, problems with your prefrontal cortex. But for example, hyperactivity looks a certain way in childhood. The stereotypes being bouncy all over the place, etc. As people age, that changes. And usually it changes through kind of social consequence, private consequence, and you can kind of get shaped to where as a kid, if you're getting out of your seat, bouncing around, big picture hyperactivity, but in adulthood, that might look like twirling a pin in your hand or twirling a ring on your finger or bouncing mm -hmm. your leg versus bouncing your whole body. The inertia, the need for sensation doesn't go away, but the way a person learns to redirect and kind of do it in a more socially acceptable manner, that's what manifests. That's why there's a lot of misconceptions about things like, oh, there's a very distinct ADHD in adulthood that's not there in childhood. That's not true. ADHD is there in childhood. If it's not, you don't have ADHD, but it just looks slightly different over time as a person ages. And then there's other things. Sexism actually has a pretty big role on this for females. So children with ADHD, boys in general, regardless of ADHD, are given more latitude because that's yeah. kind of the way that our culture works. And so boys, there's less consequence, there's less immediate repercussions for being outwardly hyperactive and active in that way, disrupting others. Girls get consequenced more early. And it's not fair, but it just, that is what it is as it stands. And so females are more likely to internalize that sensation seeking earlier in life. And that unfortunately as a population can leave it slightly less likely to be seen for ADHD as time goes on because of learning to compensate. And the problem with that is that it doesn't go away. It just gets redirected and that takes effort. That takes compensatory resource. And that's the true trend for adults anyway, is that there's just more resource and effort put in to compensate for some of those outward manifest symptoms in comparison to childhood. Fascinating. I'm learning so much. Now, of course, with the internet, it is so easy to self-diagnose anything and everything. How can people figure out if they truly should seek out a professional's opinion? Yeah. If you go on the internet and you look at the symptoms, you'll think you have ADHD. It's just <laughs> one of those things where everybody has ADHD. You know, it's kind of a popular trend too, where like, oh, I'm so ADHD or I have ADHD. And yeah, it is a more common disorder and those rates are kind of relatively on the rise, but not everybody has ADHD. And so the big thing to think about with that is the pervasiveness and the level of functional impact. And I have this kind of dumb phrasing with this where people who don't have ADHD and you ask them about it can think, oh yeah, I can think of times when I couldn't focus and someone who has ADHD like oh yeah I can think of times when I could focus that there's this much more broad level of inattention on a daily level my whole okay. life and so the common things that bring people in for ADHD when they don't have ADHD especially like here in Pullman which is a college town is you get to college and difficulty has totally ramped up you're not used to it college level coursework is a real thing that you're going to be confronted with not used to the level of work requirements, et cetera. And then you start to have problems with focus and concentration. So ADHD is in the ether. People talk about it, especially in college towns through diversion. You might even take a friend stimulant and think, oh my gosh, I could think really sharp. That was wonderful. I must have ADHD. And so you get seen and you don't. On a side note, like that stimulant example, response to stimulant medication is not diagnostic because anyone who takes a stimulant that day will notice, wow, my concentration is really a lot better and I can focus in. What you will notice if you take a stimulant every day, if you don't have ADHD, is it will cause you problems over time. You have cardiovascular issues, anxiety, acute stress, that kind of stuff. Whereas someone with ADHD won't manifest those problems. I was wondering if you could give us an example of a stimulant. 
Oh, sure. There's quite a variety these days. I mean, still predominant ones is Adderall, dextroamphetamine. Okay. And I just wanted to make sure, you know, you're not saying caffeine or anything like that. You're talking about actual... Yeah, so caffeine actually is a pretty common self-medicating agent people with ADHD use. And caffeine blocks adenosine. And adenosine is a neurotransmitter that's designed to signal your brain that you're tired. And so when you take caffeine and you block adenosine, that sleep signal goes away. And it kind of indirectly activates your central nervous system because you don't feel as tired. Which on a side note is why if people just plug coffee all day, every day, you will crash eventually because eventually your systems will just shut down even if you're not aware of being tired. But with ADHD, when you take something that blocks adenosine and it indirectly stimulates your central nervous system, that has a downstream effect on norepinephrine and dopamine, for example. And so that's why coffee can be something that you can see folks with ADHD will drink and it can be self-medicating where you don't see the traditional effect where a person with ADHD can drink a cup of coffee and then take a nap. Part of that is neurochemistry, wow. is if you're starting deficient with things like norepinephrine and then you take a stimulant and it brings you, so to speak, up to homeostasis, then it can facilitate things like sleep. So like kids with ADHD who are just bouncing around at night and just boom, 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 and then fall asleep in like five seconds once they hit the pillow, sometimes that's because there's this sensation seeking that comes with the nature of ADHD that makes it hard to fall asleep. But as soon as you get adequate stimulation, then sleep can kind of happen. How is ADHD medically diagnosed? Yeah, so that's a really important question. Like so many things, it often starts at the primary care level. Primary care providers see everything, they don't get near enough credit, and ADHD most of the time presents at primary care. So typically there, you'll do a screening, but diagnostically, it's pretty rare these days for you to be diagnosed with ADHD at the primary care level because unfortunately, they just don't have the time to do it. They have so much demand on their schedule and yeah. diagnosing ADHD is a very complex process. So for primary care, it's difficult to go down the road of treating ADHD, which the predominant treatment is a stimulant, if you don't feel like you have enough data to support the diagnosis because it's a rule out disorder. So typically you'll be referred for a specialty evaluation and the textbook evaluation would be a full neuropsych evaluation. It's not always available depending on where you live. Here in Pullman, myself and my colleague here at the hospital and there's a few other folks in the area do full neuropsych evaluations. The best approach is the multimodal approach and neuropsych testing is the best. So you get a combination of a very thorough review of your clinical history. You wanna look at childhood history, knowledgeable informant data, so report data from parents, teachers if it's available. It's hard for adults sometimes to actually still have that as an adult, but if you have that, it's the holy grail. It goes a long ways. And then you do standardized screening questionnaires, things about day-to-day -day functioning, functioning across domains, those two sets of symptoms, of course, I mentioned in the beginning. And then for the neuropsych testing itself, you do kind of a, ideally a full neurocognitive testing battery. So you establish kind of your core intellectual abilities. And I do want to say that ADHD is not an intellectual disorder. It has nothing to do with that. It's about things that get in the way of a person's ability to apply themselves. Yeah, good to know. Yeah. And how is ADHD treated, and is ADHD able to be cured? There is no cure for ADHD, and so it is a lifelong thing. Lots of people live your whole life with ADHD, and you never know about it. That's changing nowadays with information being disseminated. So ADHD is not an emergency disorder, but it is a real disorder. But yeah, unfortunately, there's no cure for it as it stands today. So your focus is management and trying to compensate. Stimulant medication is the predominant treatment. Some people have some concerns about taking a stimulant, concerns about their kids being zombified, stuff like that. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, the truth is 
is that a stimulant is the predominant treatment because it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. When you have a deficiency in norepinephrine and dopamine, you can't think that away. You can live with ADHD, but if you really want to manage it, and you can do those behavioral things, you can do you know that kind of stuff, for example, but a stimulant is still the predominant treatment for managing it. But the combination of everything is the best. So stimulant medication, and that can be a process that you want to work with your, if you work with a psychiatric provider or a primary care provider, you know, it's still kind of an old school thing where you might start with one thing, start low, go slow, find a good fit. If it's not a good fit, you might move on to trial a different one. Nowadays, more and more genetic testing is being used to determine if a person has any like metabolic issues with certain compounds to try to cut some of that process out. Because the old school way is you would just trial. If it's bad, you'd move on, et cetera, until you find a good fit. And then once you find a good fit, ideally, you find the right dose and you kind of stay on that. But stimulants, yeah, that's the predominant treatment. But then on top of that, do the behavioral stuff, the environmental stuff, social support. So setting in things like centralized locations, setting routines. I mentioned earlier about losing track of key objects. A person with ADHD almost always will learn the hard way to use routine. Because if you set your phone down in weird places, you'll just lose it and then you have to track it down. And so there's this natural progression where people will develop these idiosyncratic routines and strategies. One that comes up a lot for people with ADHD are what are called obstruction strategies. So if you put things you just don't want to forget, put them in front of your door where like yeah. you don't even have to remember anymore because the door will remind you because you can't <laughs> open it. I do So that. things like that. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> As you were doing the list, I was like, check, check, check. But you have to have five or more of the <laughs> symptoms you described, right? Yep. Yep. I have a final question for you. Are ADHD and anxiety linked? Yeah, so the most comorbid issue with ADHD is anxiety along with depression too. And so so commonly co-occurring that that's usually one of the primary drives for doing a thorough differential is to differentiate if there is anxiety versus ADHD. And then it's the chicken and the egg thing. And so coming back to like being in a college town, people will often present with ADHD and say it's secondary to college level coursework. They're struggling. It's dead weak. They're kind of drowning. They're having a lot of anxiety because they're not used to the pressure. One of the hallmark symptoms of things like anxiety and depression can be problems with concentration, problems with focus, etc. So it can look and feel like ADHD, but it's not ADHD. Boy, are we lucky to have you on the case. We so appreciate your time and everything you do to help our wonderful patients. Thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And you can learn more about this subject, providers and services at Pullman Regional Hospital online at pullmanregional.org slash palouse-psychiatry-behavioral-health. This has been the Health Podcast from Pullman Regional. I'm your host, Deborah Howell. Thanks for listening and have yourself a terrific day.